I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When people think of Terry Butcher, they think of a hard case who played for England. Part of the side that got the semi-finals of the World Cup in 1990. Images of him with his head wrapped in a bandage and blood pouring out all over that white shirt of the national team. He won the away for cup with Ipswich and nearly won the league. He won titles with Glasgow Rangers during another iconic era. He's a true heavyweight of the game. But many away from Sunderland forget he managed the mighty Red and Whites. He signed as a player under Malcolm Crosby and was a huge fan's favourite. Some think he had his eye on the manager's job from the very start. So we went to his house to ask him and to get his opinion on why it just didn't work out. First, here's Lee Howie. He was playing non-league and on the football scrap heap before Terry came in and gave him a contract. I've known Terry Butcher for, for quite a long time. Uh, as a kid, I was 16, just turned 16, and uh, Terry Butcher was the captain of Ipswich at the time when I went there. So he was he was iconic, I suppose, even then, because that, that was after the uh, the Italian thing where he came off with all the, the blood on his head and stuff like that. And uh, he was a leader of men, a real true leader of men, and, and um, um, was with him for some time until he went off to Rangers. But we still always... He came back to Ipswich and, and always was was very very came over to see us and asked us how I was how I was, and then obviously I, I left I left Ipswich because of injury, but I did get the chance when I was twenty three to then have a trial at Sunderland when when uh, Terry Butcher was uh, was manager, and luckily enough, obviously, I mean it's it's, it's a bit corny, but he, he did make my dream come true. He, he, I was his first signer for Sunderland. He signed me for. 500 quid a week, which was less money than I was actually earning <laughs> for playing uh, for Plains Farm Club and, uh, and and Bishop Auckland. But uh, yeah, I always admired the man. He was, uh, as I say, a terrific leader of, of men, but things just didn't quite work out for him at Sunland. When you hear him on uh, Five Live and the football, I think he's still very much respected and, and, uh, and I respect him greatly. Terry Butcher, former Sunderland player and manager. 42 appearances, first of all, for Sunderland. One goal. Can you remember it? No. Remind me. <laughs> it was on your home debut, actually. We worked out on the way down. We played Huddersfield in the League Cup. Oh, yeah. And that was your home debut at Rocker Park. And then we lost that one as well. We did, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah that's, why, that's why I don't remember it. Uh, it was a two-legged affair, wasn't it? In yes, the it was, Cup. Yeah. yeah. We went over to to Huddersfield, and I think we may have won 1-0. I went into extra time. That's right, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, we lost on away goals, yeah, which yeah. is a stupid rule, isn't it? We were just talking, <laughs> we were just talking about stupid rules and stuff before we started recording there, didn't we? So, uh, I'm with Gareth and Craig as well, and we, we're down um, in Terry's house. We're very uh, honoured that you've invited us in, Terry. Um, we'll start 
talking to you about just when you played and then when that progressed onto you managing the club and stuff like that. You you actually had retired as a player before you came to play for Sunderland. So people will remember you. You've got a highly decorated career, obviously, and then all come to a head with Italian 90. But you had a little spell at Coventry as a player manager, but didn't last too long. And then you retired playing before you come to Sunderland to play again. Yeah, I went I went to, to Coventry uh, as player manager. I, I shook hands with Howard Wilkinson about playing for Leeds United as well. But... Um, John Poynton, who's the owner of Coventry, phoned me up and said, would you want to be player manager? And I says, yeah, I'd love to love to learn about the job through Bobby Robson. I saw what he did and how he got stuck into the role and I wanted to do exactly the same. So um, started off at Coventry and play. I was as a player manager, but I only managed seven games when these were were shot, really. I was I was coming to the end and um, I thought, well, um, I'd better concentrate on management rather than, than the playing side. And and in the end, that didn't work out for me. We um, a new board came in. Uh, John Poynton left. A new board came in, and obviously they wanted their own man in. So I had to depart. So I was sort of stuck that summer, summer of '92, I think it was. And um, Bobby Ferguson, who was my reserve team coach or uh, Ipswich, and the man responsible really for for making me sort of the player I became, he was uh, assistant to Malcolm Crosby at Sunderland, and he just said, "Well, you know what you're doing." And I said, "Well, I'm trying to get fit now because I think well." Um, I hadn't done much work on fitness when I was at Coventry, so I thought, well, I'll really work hard. So I did a bike ride and was on the bike all day doing my stuff. So he, he says, come along. So come along for, for pre-season training. So I did, and I went along to Sunderland. Um, beautiful summer and uh, ended up training, ended up getting a contract. So somehow I got a contract. So um, <laughs> I thought, well, this is my Indian summer, really, just to see what I could do. But I was hanging on in, in many respects. Um, but I have to say that I had... a a centre-half alongside me called Kevin Ball, who was absolutely brilliant. He was absolutely a diamond. He looked after me, and he could be anybody's mind a ball he could. And, uh, <laughs> he helped me get through the season and, and get through it well. It's interesting that, because um, we, we were looking at some of the people who you played alongside. But, uh, I mean, b- before you came to Sunderland, did you have, what were your impressions of the area? Or did you know, had you been to Sunderland before? Well, I we played at did- Sunderland several times um, when Bobby Robson was the manager, and... Um, we always enjoyed it there. Uh, Roker Park was always a, a noisy ground. It was a windy ground as well, so I found out later on. Um, a wind would howl through the, the middle of it. Oh, it was awful. But I mean, uh, we always got good memories because we always used, used to do well there. We always invariably won there. So it was, I thought, well, well, let's try and change this round if I could and try and get them on the winning habit. But, you know, you knew that the support was there and obviously Newcastle were doing well and uh, they were looking to try and get back up into the into the top flight and Sunderland wanted to do the same and with, with the cup final as well um, Sunderland got to the cup final mm-hmm. and you sort of thought well there's a good nucleus of players here and it would be a um, it would be good to, to be in that in that environment and um, you know in, in a winning environment and see what we could do So were you when you left Coventry were you not then actively looking for any manager jobs you were thinking you were going to give it another go for playing just for a couple of just, years just as a player that's all I wanted to be was a player it was easier being a player because you just got yourself to worry about whereas a manager you've got everybody to worry about uh, and their families and all this sort of thing so I just wanted to, to knuckle down and play and it was very good because Malcolm allowed me my own sort of regime I went back down to the Midlands where I was staying um, with my family and, and did a bit of work down there then went up and stayed overnight and did all some training and then played games and all that sort of thing so yeah, it worked out very well and um, I enjoyed it results weren't exactly what we wanted of course but just to be playing again was a big thrill for me and you know putting the red and white on and with all the I mean the support was just phenomenal at home and away from home it was wow it was great you know having been at Rangers and 
you know, Ipswich to a certain degree, but particularly Rangers, a big club, big support, travelling at home, it's just phenomenal to play in front of. And it was the same with Sunderland. So you mentioned Kevin Ball there. So when you were playing into the team, we, we, we just had a look. And Gary Bennett, you played alongside a couple of times. Richard Ord, who would have been a young player Ord, there. yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and Kevin Ball. And which, which I couldn't quite understand Ord. His accent was a bit strong. But he, was, <laughs> he was a good, sweet left foot. Great guy. Yeah. But Ball, I mean, there were some great characters there. Ben Owen. Now, now um, when I wander around um, the ground sometimes for, for, for Five Live or for radio, TV, I, I bump into Ben Owen. It's great to see him again. He's, he was a character. Mm-hmm. And who did you prefer? Who was your favourite to play alongside? Well, I didn't, it didn't bother me. I mean, I was left-footed, so, uh, you know, you had, you had, great, you had Ben Owen, you had, um, obviously, Borley um, in there. So, I mean, Borley was, stood out for me because he was, he would shout and scream and talk and everything like that. Ben Owen was a bit more quiet, a bit more laid back, um, <laughs> a bit more horizontal sort of thing, you know. But he, he's... He sort of wondered where he was, but he was just lying down <laughs> having a rest. It was unbelievable. It was, uh, but but Borley was completely different. Borley's right in your face, and he was like, he'd scream at you, "Well done, well done!" Like this. You just think, well, just a nice thumbs up would have done. But you know, he was a character. He really was. And I've got to know him really well over the years in terms of um, getting players from Sunderland in you know with the under under 18s and under 23s and under 20s where they are. And he's been, you know, he's the right character. So we sort of kept in touch, which is really nice. Mm, he is friend of the short ball, yeah, isn't he? he, he, he <laughs> comes he's a friend on, to anyone. He comes exactly. on, speaks to us exactly. Yeah. Absolutely, he is. <laughs> um, so you, you, I mean, there are stories of you when you played for England and stuff. And Gary Lineker tells some of them when you listen to his podcast and stuff. I've never had a conversation with Gary Lineker. I made that say, "Oh, I'm sitting next to Gary and talking." <laughs> um, where he says you were like crazy in the tunnel and stuff, and you, you know, you're bashing your head against the wall and stuff <laughs> like that. Had you, had you mellowed out by the time you got to Sunderland with that? No. <laughs> exactly the same. I think I, I approached it the way that I, I've always approached it. Um, but the, the, the best thing I, re, I always remember um, about um, playing for, for Sunderland and the fans was just going to the fans after the game and giving them a, a cheer and a thank you and just mm. acknowledging their great support. Um, I think they used to look for it. My wife used to tell me off of inciting them. And I remember a, an FA Cup game at Sheffield Wednesday when we lost the game in the last minute. Yeah. Uh, Mark Bright scored and um, we played really well and looking forward to the replay um, and we lost 1-0 and going up to the whole of the, of the end at, um, at Sheffield, Sheffield Wednesday at Hillsborough it was just an amazing scene with all, all the Sunderland fans and giving them a cheer and lifting them and you know like I did and everything else like that and you know it was, it was a great great way to finish off the game even though we had lost Mm-hmm. And then I got was there was all talk. I went into the change room. There was all talk of me being arrested for inciting the crowd. So I, it was it was it wasn't actually sorted out for about half an hour to an hour after the game whether I was going to be charged or not by the police. So <laughs> I thought, wow, this is really different. I, maybe I'll, I won't do that in future. But you know, it was just one of those not talking points. But it was you think, well, that was a bit crazy. But it was just it was just phenomenal to play in front of the fans. They were just immense. I can remember that, and lots of people have mentioned that. And I was, I was actually at that game, and I was a kid at the time. I remember you doing that. Um, and, and, and just for people who might not be aware, so you would at Roker Park or on a away game, but I remember particularly that Sheffield Wednesday game, as you say, because we took thousands down. We did play well, and then Tony Norman dropped the ball, didn't he? And Mark Brown. Well, I didn't want to say that, but yeah, yeah, I think that was, you've summed it up really yeah, well. Yeah, and <laughs> he, he, well, I think we were talking that there was even a fanzine called It's an Easy One for Norman, I think, because that's what the commentator oh. said at the time. <laughs> I think we all said that as well on the pitch. We just turned around to walk away. The next thing is in the back of the net. <laughs> and uh, so, so, for people who might not know, so what you would do, you would walk up to the 
Sunderland fan, so I was in the Fulwell end, and you would do it at the all end of the ground at Roker Park, and then you'd walk up at the end of the game, you would raise your hands, yeah. and the whole crowd would do an all, an all air with you. When yeah, you, when and you then you'd, you'd you know, raise it quicker and quicker and quicker, and then they shout, and then, then pause, and then right at the end, just hold it and hold it and hold it, and then the last like raise of the hands in the last year. Like yeah. a conductor. Yeah, like a conductor, yeah. I think, <laughs> I think the crowds, the, I mean, I've seen captains do it. I mean, Luke Chambers does it at Ipswich now as well with the, with the fans. I've seen them do it, and I think. It's just an acknowledgement to the supporters, you know, thanks very much for supporting us and, you know, just, just acknowledging their presence and saying to them, thank you, thank you on behalf of the club. So uh, I did that and, you know, for them, someone to actually say or threaten the fact that I could get charged with incitement, I thought, oh, that's a bit rich, but I would take it. I'd be, I've been charged before the, by the police many times, so <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'm used to that scenario. <laughs> um, was it, we were talking... Um to Malcolm Crosby, obviously, we, we start with Dennis Smith and Malcolm Crosby now yourself. And we, we were looking at some of the, the players we had in that team. And there were some good players, really. And I think I can clearly remember, like, my dad and all the fans getting really frustrated uh, that we were doing so poorly in the league. And we're yeah. down here 17th and 18th because we had some good players, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Don Gubbin up front was a was a, a quality player. Um, and he just needed the, the, the right service to him. Um, Gordon Armstrong, you know, Gary Hours. We had some, we had some, good, some good talent there, but... For some reason, it just didn't seem to click on a regular basis. When it did click, it was it was very good. When there were a lot of times when it didn't quite click, so um, it was it was. I just needed more time. I think when you, I've known now as a manager and a coach, when you get a team together, it just takes time for it to gel, particularly under the pressure that um, that Malcolm was under with with um, his, his appointment was a bizarre sort of scenario, wasn't it? Before with the cup and that sort of thing, the cup run, getting to the cup final, then eventually he became the manager. I think through. Um, it wasn't exactly a you know a, a unanimous choice I didn't think from the board but for, as an outsider but I, I felt really sorry for Malcolm because at the end of the day he deserved he deserved more and he deserved more from us as players to be fair mm-hmm. I mean you, you debut that you debut for Sunderland league debut um, we lost 1-0 at Swinton and, and Glenn Hoddle was player yeah. manager then and he scored yeah, he as scored, well yeah yeah, yeah. 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 So he he was you were looking at him doing the player manager thing then at the time as well. well. I was yeah. I wish I'd done as well as Glenn did. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I remember I remember that game because I was out in Japan. I was coaching in Japan. I'd had a, a preset arrangement to go out and coach some children in Japan. So I actually flew back from Japan on on the Thursday, and then got to a hotel and and stayed in a hotel in London uh, on the on the Thursday night I think, and then went up to um, to with, with with the team. Uh, to play at Swindon, so yeah, I remember just jetting, jetting halfway across the world, sort of thing, to go and play in the game, and uh, I enjoyed the game. I thought we did all right in the game, and mm. wasn't much between the sides, and we, you know, I ended up losing the game. And they got promoted that year. It was a That's right. Yeah. Team, yeah. I, remember, I remember them coming to Roker Park and how well they did there. Um, yeah, they were a good side, and John Gorman, I think, was with Glenn as well as, mm. as the assistant manager. They're a good coaching team. The way they played as well and passed the ball. Um, we shan't go into the bunk scenario in the brown paper envelopes but there we go <laughs> uh, another game we, we found interesting when we were just looking at the stats and I, I can't remember this game actually which I'm surprised because it's the most Sunderland game in the world we lose 2-0 at home to Charlton can you remember anything about that game? it was an awful game John Kay got sent off yeah, and yeah. you and Gary Bennett scored an own goal each yeah yes, I remember scoring an own goal I sliced it with my right foot I think it hit my shin pad and went in <laughs> It was a bizarre goal. I, mean, I did score some cracking on goals, but that was one of the best. Yeah, it was an awful game. I, was, I remember that as well. And John Kay getting sent off. Yeah, I mean, John was a time bomb waiting to happen anyway. So, I mean, 
you didn't you didn't want to he's a funny guy john he just didn't know what to say and he sometimes you said something and it just seemed to to turn him into some crazy animal he's like a tasmanian devil at times when he went into tackles um and other times he was he was sweet as a nut he was really mm. lovely yeah so, the people are, it's interesting with john people always say that he was quite quiet off the field oh he's a very deep thinker but he just didn't know what was going through his, his head you know he just didn't have a clue he didn't show i mean he would have been a good poker player but he would have probably ripped the table up at the end of it if he'd lost <laughs> but he was just one of these people that you didn't know his face no facial expressions until he just until he snapped until he went mad and then you knew exactly what it was going to be like <laughs> but he was it was some football i thought he was a nice neat and tidy footballer got forward well i mean wholehearted i mean he gave everything to the course there's no doubt about that but um he just didn't know what he was going to do that was as simple as that some, what, what, some back four with you john Kay, and kevin ball in it mind <laughs> yeah and audi at left back <laughs> you two yeah, yeah you two winding him up <laughs> well i didn't, I didn't much, Bordy would wind him up i tell you Bordy would wind anyone up but he was um He's, yeah, he was he was he was good. I and mean, when you did the work with him, and you trained with him, and you and you went out with him, and that he was he was first class. He was really good. Um, just if you played against him, I think you just you weren't too sure. And same with Bally, probably the same with me as well. Exactly. So it was a pretty <laughs> psychopathic back four. <laughs> <It was> terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> what were the dynamics like in the dressing room? Good dressing room. Yeah, it was an excellent dressing room. Um, very strong. Um, good players. As uh, quiet players as well. Um, Lots of um, lots of characters in there, lots of egos, and to a certain degree. But no, I didn't. I didn't find that any egos um, dominated. Everybody uh, um, stuck in, got got on with each other. I thought it was excellent, really good, first class. Did you feel any pressure with you know obviously the link with Bobby Ferguson and him being the coach? You coming yeah. to the club kind of because of him. Yeah. You know, obviously he'd admired you a lot as a player. Um, Do you ever feel that pressure to sort of live up to maybe his expectation? within the group of players coming into the club? Well, it was always a pressure to live up to my expectations, yeah. but I had to try and please Bobby. I mean, I've always tried to please Bobby when I played, and in, th- in this particular case, I had to do the same as well. Um, he would. Um, he was very good, though. He was, he'd mellowed a lot compared to what he was at Ipswich. He was a lot quieter, and when he exploded, it was a bit like John Kay when he exploded, and you knew what, what was going to happen. But, um, yeah, I felt yeah. under pressure to try and justify his selection um, and his... He, you know, obviously put me forward to Malcolm, and I just wanted to do well for Malcolm as well. So it was, um, it was, it was a difficult sort of scenario because I've been used to training flat out all the time, um, and then to to actually not take part several days of the week in the training, be away from the from the group, and then to come and meet them and all that sort of thing. I know it happens a lot now in in modern football, but in those days it didn't happen a lot. But it it can you can feel a bit disjointed, but at the same time I knew I had to do it because I couldn't. I couldn't go flat out during the week because my knee would just blow up. Not that it was blowing up much; it was it was a bit sore. But I did play a lot of games that season, so and I enjoyed them. It kind of did a full circle for you because just after Christmas, Malcolm Crosby was sacked, and your first game—I mean, we'll get onto that in a minute—was was actually against Swindon. But um, there's a couple of—I don't want to call them conspiracy theories, but you know, <laughs> terrorist talk and pub talk and stuff. What Sunderland fans, how they remember things and stuff like that. And I want you to either just confirm or dispel a couple of these as myths. Perhaps. Okay. Um, so we were talking about that when you're you're going around and you're you're lifting your arms to the crowd and stuff like that. Did you at any point when you were playing under Martin Crosby have the manager job in mind? No, not at all. No, I, I, I just wanted to get through the season. I just wanted to play a season. I think that I wanted to prove to myself that I could still do it as well. When, he, when I had a, such a miserable time at, at Coventry in terms of playing, um, I wanted to, to to say to people in general, really, and to, and to myself, look, you know, I can still do this. 
okay, it's, it's, it's restricted and I don't have the same input as I had before uh, day to day. But I just felt, well, yeah, I really want to do this. Um, and, I, and I enjoyed it. And to be fair, the knee was holding up really well, went, didn't miss many games. Um, the sharpness probably wasn't there. And I think towards it, you know, when, he, when like halfway through the season, you sort of think, you know, okay, fine, things are going well. But there comes a time in your mind when you think the sharpness isn't quite there. Uh, like it was before, and I think having the season out, the season be- you know the season before, or not playing on a regular basis, you lose a lot of that edge. <clears throat> so um, I just wanted to be a, as a player first and foremost, and that was the only thing I had in my mind. So Malcolm, you, you touched on it there and said perhaps he wasn't the unanimous decision by the board and stuff, and it took a while for him to get that job in a, on a permanent basis. The fans wanted him to get it, and I think mm. uh, there was a lot of sentiment behind that cup run and stuff. Like you said, he was a local lad, but. Um, I think Bob Murray. I don't think it's a secret that he, he wanted Neil Warnock for a long time, but he didn't. He didn't feel he was in a position to sack Malcolm Crosby at the time. So when that did come, Neil Warnock was actually available as well. Um, so what what conversation did 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 you have with Bob Murray? How did did he approach you? Ask if you were interested, or because the turnaround was quite quick. Yeah, well, I mean, it was obviously after Malcolm had left, so it was a case of well, um, you know, would you be interested in the job? It was it was not do you want the job, but would you be interested in the job? And I said, well. Actually, yeah, it would be. I mean, I mean you, you, having been at the club a while, you look at the at the um, the club in, in itself. The the, the training centre was new; just started to move up to there, and and you're looking at the at the stadium, and there's all the talk about the new stadium as well. All these models and that sort of thing at Roker Park, and you sort of think, wow, that looks fantastic, and all that. You know, I'd like to be a part of that, and this ain't going to help out, and do this and do that. And you sort of think, wow, this, this is a got a this club's got a future, a really good future. So. Um, it's a club that's up and coming in terms of um, you know where it wants to be and what you know the ambition it's got at the club as well. And he sort of felt I didn't know about the financial situation there, of course, but he sort of think, well, yeah, I, I could I could I could get my teeth into this. And having been at the club for a while, rather than come to like a, a Coventry, which was then all new to me, I didn't know much about the history of the club and about the club itself and everything else like that. But to know a lot about the club from within as a player. And that that counts as a lot. You, so you've you've done my homework sort of thing, the reconnaissance. Although I wasn't anticipating that, but when the opportunity came along, you sort of feel well, yeah, I, I understand the club now more than anything else. You understand the politics of the club. Sometimes you don't, but I did this time. So I thought, well, yeah, I really fancy this. And mm-hmm. obviously, the more we talked, then, but it was very quick. It was a quick turnaround because there was obviously games to play. Mm-hmm. And there was never any talk before that, and you never no. got any inkling that Malcolm no. was going to no, go. No, no, not at all. I did mean, I like I like Malcolm. I like, I thought he was. I thought he was. It's just going to take a bit more time with Malcolm. And obviously, he wasn't allowed the time. Did you then think, right? You've been a player manager before. You're still playing at this point. I know at the end of the season you you stop playing, but you're still, for the rest of the season you just continue to play. Did you just try and uh, make that a smooth transition? Did you think I'm not going to change things too much? I'm just going to stop picking the team now as well as playing. Yeah. Or did, or did you think, I've, right? I've got to make a change. Either I've got to. Got to change the way I am. No, not really. I just tried to be the same. Um, Bobby was was my number two on the sidelines, and um, all the substitutions and everything else was left to him. And we did talk about it a bit before. We talked about the team together. Just tell him not, never to take you off. <laughs> oh no, I got I was I was took off a few times. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, you know, it, we, we, especially when we played three at the back, we just changed it around. But I just felt that um, it was it was a good situation because I, I trusted Bobby implicitly um, and I knew that he could make the right call. But he wasn't enjoying it very much. I think he was having seen Malcolm go and things like that. And the inkling I got from, from Bobby was that this was his last season up to the end of the season. He wanted to, f- to finish 
uh, after that. So Brighton said, well, look, let's just take it through to the end of the season because we're in a, we're then in a relegation fight. We're then you know scrapping for our lives. So, um, but I just felt it was the right situation um, with with Bobby on the sidelines. I was just a player. Um, obviously, after the game, you talk about things, and then during the week, you're talking about the training and all these kind of things as well. So. Um, I thought it was a good. It was a. It was a. It was a nice situation for me because Bobby's so experienced, great, great football guy, great friend as well. Um, uh, him and his wife Anne used to look after me after games. And I remember one game we played. I think it was. I think it might have been Portsmouth at home. Where we won four-one, and I thought, well, that's us safe. So we then. I then went to the boardroom afterwards, and I played and went to the boardroom, and I thought, and everybody was high and all that sort of thing, and. Uh, it was great, and the Chablis was flowing because Mr. Murray liked a nice bottle of Chablis, so he used to. So I had a few glasses of Chablis. I think I had a few bottles as well, and um, I didn't have much to eat, obviously, for the game. And then I decided to drive my car back to the hotel, um, and then uh, I remember getting in in the car and driving, um, and I phoned Bobby on the way. He stopped and phoned Bobby Ferguson on the way, and I said, "I'm really struggling here," and he just said, "Look." You better come to me because he he just stayed on the seafront just to to stand the road from Hooker Park. So Seaburn, I think. Also, I I ended up driving in, into his house and he ended up driving me back to the hotel and put me to bed because I was <laughs> absolutely plus. If the police had got me, I'd have been about ten times over the limit. So it was stupid, but because of the pressure that we were under, the pressure I was under as well as manager, player manager. Um, I just because I thought well, but one, let's, you know, we're going to be safe now, sort of thing, and, and, and just went for it. A few Newcastle fans in the uh, in the home end that day as well, wasn't there? Because I think we stopped. I think they needed Portsmouth to lose, I think, yeah. to get promoted. Yeah, um, yeah, it's a bit of a strange atmosphere. Yeah, I mean, we needed down on the north to get to the port of one, um, which was an important game, like you say, with four-one, and it did stop them from getting promoted. So it was a, a, a one of a few highs in that season, I think, on, on the pitch anyway. It's probably the only high of my <laughs> campaign. I, mean. I think your first, we said you did a full circle and Swindon was your first game as a manager after it had been your first game as a player. We lost 1-0. Gordon Armstrong missed a penalty in that game. Yeah. Maybe that's a sign of things to come. Gordon missing a penalty. It's going to go downhill from here. Yeah. From that moment. Hey, folks. I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Um, a couple of ones I want to mention. Newcastle away. So, what was it like? Firstly, um, at the time you obviously played for Rangers, as everybody knows, and that was massive. Everybody knows about Rangers and Celtic. It doesn't need explaining. But it's very similar. It's very similar to Sunderland and Newcastle. And at that time, Newcastle are flying, and Kevin oh, Keegan's there in the top of the league, and that made things harder for a Sunderland fan because you were so desperate just to match them and 
and we hated that they were working. They, some of the Newcastle fans pretend they're not bothered about each other, don't they? That, that's the thing they like to do at the moment. <laughs> they do, don't they? And of course they're bothered about each other. Were you aware of that at the time? Like, oh, yeah, very much so, yeah. I mean, the derbies were, were, were big things. Um, big things wherever you are, but particularly Newcastle, Sunderland, huge. I mean, Newcastle were flying. I mean, we'd, we'd lost at home, I think, 2-1 in the first derby, um, which wasn't uh, nice at all. And we had to go to St. James's Park. And um, what I did um, that week, I took the players away up to Turnbury. We had a, got a special deal at Turnbury. They had a cancellation, which was quite good. And we went up there, took the boys up there, had a great time, a bit of golf, things like this, and spa treatments, etc. a few drinks. And then um, we decided to come back down on the, uh, on the Friday uh, and stay in a hotel, which was uh, north of uh, Newcastle. And it was the hotel that Newcastle stayed in for home games. But we got in there pretty early during the week and, and booked it. Moira, Moira Whitmore, my secretary, she was amazing. So she just got in, pipped it, pipped Newcastle. We then took over their hotel, which was, a, I thought, well, that's a good good sign. And then and it was pouring with rain when we came down from, from Turnbury, absolutely teeming down on the, on the, Sat- on the Friday. We come, we come down on Friday and stayed because it was Saturday, but it, it was played on the Sunday. Um, a televised game. Yeah. Uh, so it, it was pouring with rain. So I remember going in and thinking, well, I hope this doesn't last very long. Went in the hotel, good night, and then they obviously went to the game. And it was pouring with rain all night. And I thought, well, the game's going to be in doubt here because there's only so much any football pitch can take. And it was like, I thought, well, if there's a hill nearby, there's going to be someone building an arc up there because it had rained that much. So we we went to the game, and I remember the game uh, because the old new car, the old St. James's Park, they had um, the, the turf of the pitch went off, and you had a cinder track. And you had like um, gullies from the cinder track went down to the to the pitch. So there was a big like foot to two, two foot drop from the pitch to the these these mm-hmm. these gullies and the cinder track, and they were full with water. It was just absolutely really full with water. And I thought to myself, well, this you know this this could go, but anyway, it, it went ahead. Can you remember how you approached that game? There's a story that one of the players. Yeah, did. yeah, yeah. I think. I think Don Goodman tells a story. Kevin Ball. I think, uh, Kevin uh, Ball. Oh, no, I think everybody tells a story. <laughs> Sorry. Everybody who's in the dressing room tells a story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I came, I, I came into the dressing room, didn't I? And I, I'd had this number number two haircut <laughs> all over. And I was I was playing, obviously. And I just, I says, right, lads. I says, right, you know, I'm, I'm like, uh, um, I've got a commando's haircut. And uh, I think it was, I think it was the word commando. I'm a commando. I'm a commando's haircut. We're going to be commandos today. We're going to come down here. Get in, do the job, and clear off. Well, I didn't quite say clear off, but off was used as well. Yeah. So I said, right, this is our mission today. And it was like that. And you could see everybody was like, rah. I'm sure of putting on any sort of paint on our faces, camouflage paint. We went out as, as, as commandos. So that, was my, that was my message to the players. Unfortunately, we didn't quite play like, well, we actually played like commandos and not footballers. But no, it was a, it was, there was nothing, but nothing in the game. And I remember... Given the free kick away, I think that um, Scott Sellers, Scott Sellers, yeah. But the best memory of the game for me was uh, playing up against uh, uh, David Kelly. Was it? Yeah. I didn't like David Kelly. Uh, didn't like any Newcastle player. But I didn't like David <laughs> Kelly in particular. So I thought, uh, and as the ball's running out, a play, um, kind of to the side of the pitch, and I remember chasing him out towards the ball, uh, and. I've just gone in. I thought, right, I'm just going to take the lot here. I'm just going to, if I make contact with the ball, it's completely incidental. <laughs> and I just smashed into him and I took him and I carved him round about the thigh area. 
and I've took and I've just bundled him off the pitch. And and I talked about the gullies before. Yeah. And it was about a two foot drop into this gully of water. And it was a, it was a huge area, and I've just scythed him down. Got a yellow card from it. Scythed him down, and he's gone into this gully, slid into this gully. And he's gone under the water and comes up the other side. So I nearly drowned him. I wish I had it. Actually. I should have just picked him up by the neck and just drowned him. But that was my body memory of the game when we lost the game 1-0. But it really, in all the facts, should never have gone ahead because it was, it, was, it was awful. The ball was stopping and all these kind of things as well. Yellow card in those days? Yellow card in those days, yeah. Well worthy of yellow. I was quite happy to have a yellow card for that. Ten much so. fun, though. Probably. I was going to say. Yeah, it would have been easy. Yeah. It would have been a court case. No. But no, no, I, I, that was the only bit the game I enjoyed and I remember driving down there right afterwards just thinking well the only reason the game went ahead I think was because of the TV so that was that was it but yeah we I mean great memories of the game okay we lost the game but we certainly went in you know we certainly give it a go it's good I'm glad you confirmed that story because it is a good story um, <laughs> commandos yeah and, uh, <laughs> and Kevin Ball said that Pete Davenport come on a sub and started running around the pitch making aeroplane noises <laughs> which is his memory from the game I don't know how true that is they might have waited until you weren't on the pitch before they'd done that yeah. um, so that, that season we were we were never like we were never actually in the relegation zone that season. Um, this idea that because when Sunderland were relegated from the Championship recently, and we say, oh, you know, we have been down here before, and in fact, we hadn't really because the time we've been relegated um, out of that division previously, we were never in the relegation zone. And the times when we struggled in the mid nineties, we were we were always just hovering above, but we were getting close to the relegation zone, weren't we? And yeah. um, you, you mentioned the four-one win there already against Portsmouth. It turned out it was enough, and it had to be because yeah. we lost the last two games. But there was a game against Notts County, wasn't there? And Notts County were one of the sides who were in trouble as well. And it was built. It was a huge game. We took thousands down again, cool, didn't yeah. we? Yeah, and um, massive, massive game. And then we just didn't turn up, did we? For the first half, we three 0 down at half time. We three 0 down at half time. Yeah, yeah. Great team talk for me, wasn't it? <laughs> great team selection. Yeah, it was just. At least, I mean, they they were really fired up for it. But I, you know. We tried to, you know, I tried to fire the boys up and all that sort of thing as well. And I just think, because there was about four or five teams that could have yeah. all got relegated that day. I mean, there was the, the, you know, there's no point working out combinations and results and all that sort of thing. You just, you know, I said to the players, just, we just go out there and win the game. Mm-hmm. But we, we weren't at it at all. 3 um, nil down and you sort of think, you know, wh- where are we going with this at half-time? I think it was everybody, he walked in the dressing room, everybody was like shell-shocked. It was just... Mm. It was just awful, um, and even after the game when we'd lost four one, and, and then eventually found out that we'd stayed up, it was the worst feeling in the world. And I, and I remember doing a lot of interviews after the game; just my face was just tripping me. It was I was absolutely gutted, and gutted about playing the whole season and tired as well. But just the whole weight of the club, you know, we nearly went down. You know, and, this, and I, I think I remember saying things like, "You know, this could never happen again. We've got to make sure that we." We're not in a position again where we where we we come to the last game of the season and this is our situation. You know, we're gonna must make sure that we that we learn from this and move forward. And that's what I wanted to do, and especially that summer. Lee, how he made his debut um, in that Portsmouth game, actually. Mm. So he he's got a story about that Notts uh, County game as well. But what, firstly, your it really worked out for Lee your appointment because he was kind of on the football scrap heap, wasn't he? And mm. you, you'd come across him when he was at Ipswich. You got told he would ever play again. He was playing non-league yeah. football yeah. in Sunderland and then he, he asked you for a trial, I think, didn't he? Yeah, he did, yeah. yeah. Well, obviously, his brother played for Newcastle. So, mm. um, and, and Bobby Bobby Ferguson knew about him as well. And he's well worth a look. So we had a look at him and we, yeah, we liked him. He was technically good, strong, could have, not the most 
aggressive a players for a big lad when he you, know, you sort of think you know in, in football in those days it was centre forwards like Mick Harfords and things like this who I signed the next season <laughs> so that was aggression pure aggression that was but he wasn't you know and he sort of felt there's more to come from him he really did and I think he was trying to make up for lost time but yeah lovely lovely boy I mean great family as well mm. it must be nice that when you one comes along for free like that yeah and there was one the next season you know, the next season um, Jamie Lawrence Oh, yeah, Remember Jamie yeah, Lawrence, yeah, yeah. pineapple head, they used to call him, <laughs> because he had the, yeah, the, like the was yeah, it Jason yeah. Lee pineapple yeah, haircut. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but he'd been in prison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he'd yeah. been in prison for theft and things like this. And, and when we signed him, he, you know, there's no, there was no truth in the rumour he played with a, an ankle bracelet, but uh, he, he, he was, a, he was a, play, a phenomenal player, unbelievable pace. Um, he did all right for us. Mm. And he's, he's now, I'm, I've met him again, he's, I think he's in London now, he's got a, a sort of, not an academy, but he looks after a lot of the younger boys and gives them a, a good tuition and tries to turn them around from gangs and all that sort of thing now as well. So he's he's, he's, done, he's done really well. Yeah, he played in the Premier League. He did Bradford, well for Bradford, didn't he? Didn't yeah, he, he did, did for Bradford. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he did all right. Yeah, he's, yeah, he was, and it was a big a big gamble. But at the end of the day, with someone like you know, Lee, it wasn't a gamble at all because he was desperate to play, desperate yeah. to play for Sunderland. And he said that you 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 I mean you, you probably answered it there because you said at half time not to carry. So this is a trying to people who weren't aware if it was before their time or whether the newer Sunderland fans trying to put in a context out. this was like a cup final this game against Notts County and we didn't turn up like you see 3-0 down half time and Lee Howie said nobody yourself included said anything no and just sat there yeah it, it was we were shell shock it was it was the most bizarre uh, change room and in the end it was like it was, it, was, it was one of those I don't really want to be here but you are here and it's your job you've got to get on with it and he said right I'm like right you know, let's get out there in the second half and put a bit of pride back into the game. That's that's all we could do. You know, the game was gone and to to all certain to to a certain degree in all intents and purposes. But I just, I just said, I think I said one thing. And that was look, you know, look at the crowd. You know, let's 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 go out there and just give a better second half performance. And we did play better second half, but it wasn't much better. But in the end, it, luck was on our side. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.